Okay, everybody, welcome back once again to Tech Gumbo. I'm Haggai Davis II, along with Haggai Davis III, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Here on our show, we like to talk about the past, present, and future of all things technology in a topical, interesting, and digestible way. Without geek speak or a bunch of acronyms, we just want to talk about technology that's important to us and important to you. We also want to thank Cardinal Capital. To business owners and CEOs, hopefully you have a good relationship with your lender. Even if you do, sometimes you face other challenges, such as a need to consolidate debt, a want to level out your cash flow, or a desire to buy new equipment because you're in growth mode. If this describes you, give Cardinal Capital a call, whatever your need or challenge. They have over 4,000 lenders where they source commercial capital for business clients. Chris, Gary, and Rob at Cardinal Capital have a passion for business, and they want you to succeed. When you meet with Cardinal Capital, they get to know you and your business, so they can present your needs to lending institution that will best fit your unique situation. In short, they go after money for your business. They translate your business into what's important for lenders, and they are good at it. Depending upon what the deal is, no matter how complicated or straightforward, they will help maximize your profitability while setting your business up for success. They find the best solution for your situation, all while being fun and easy to deal with. For more detailed information, visit their website at cardinalcap.net. You can also call them 225-308-3700 or email them info at cardinalcap.net. So, young Haggai III is still off on his international studies and unable to join us this week on Tech Gumbo. So we're welcoming back Connor LeBlanc. Connor, welcome back to Tech Gumbo. Hello, it is uh, great to be back. So glad to have you. Let's get right into the news and the updates of the technology worlds of the week. Starting off with the whole artificial intelligence laws, and, and it looks like there may actually be a deal in place now between the EU and the American government as to how to treat the, the rules and the, uh, and the laws of the data. Yeah, so I mean, uh, I think it's really interesting just to see how these laws have uh, have developed just in the past couple years since I finished law school. I, I took a technology law class, and it is kind of you know funny that it was called technology law. Whenever now it seems like every law in the books is getting influenced by technology in some way or the other. <clears throat> you know, just right off the bat, I don't, I don't think it's a huge surprise that that the EU um, is trying to be a little bit more heavy-handed in the way that you know, quote unquote, American companies are handling uh, Europeans' data. You know, the the Europeans have always kind of been more on the side of, you know, wanting to control the the technology out there uh, as opposed to the American viewpoint of, of being more laissez-faire and, you know, kind of letting businesses roll out technology and iterate as quickly as possible. Right. And you've got the, the GDPR over there in, in the EU which allows the individuals to control their data privacy rights. And in the United States, we have nothing like that. And when you have these companies that are creating chat GPT and, and BARD and all the social media platforms, if your company is based in Europe, but you also have servers in the US, or if you're a US company with servers on the European continent, how do you store that data? Who has rules and rights? And when you're transmitting the data overseas back and forth, that's what, what's been going on in there. It looks like they've finally come to some kind of an agreement. Yeah, it looks like it. You know, it, the the cloud 
in the way that it's become very ephemeral, you know, with data centers all over the world, you know, this is this has long kind of been a problem of lawmakers trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. You know, we're we're used to the physical world, not the not the digital world. And, you know, there have been a few instances of you know, the, the Europeans coming down a little bit more heavy handed on tech companies. Something that comes to mind was, you know, I, th- I believe it was earlier this year, the EU passed a, a mandate that basically said that Apple was no longer allowed to use lightning, lightning ports and have to go over to uh, USB-C to, you know, because it created some, some anti-competitive practice on, on European citizens. It, um, well, it was because it made European citizens have to buy too many additional cables. The rest of the folks on USB-C, so Apple joined the party. Right, exactly. You know, it. a lot of this has to do with just the way that data is being stored and managed. And, you know, the fact of the matter is that a lot of these companies are based out of America. You know, they're considered American companies, but they're doing billions of dollars in revenue in Europe. You know, and, and so I think that the Europeans probably have the right idea to focus on the... Uh, the end user, you know, focus on how how European citizens' data is being managed. But at the end of the day, I think that a lot of these regulations are gonna are gonna trickle down into how American regulators uh, sort of oversee how American citizens' data is being managed. Well, we'll see if Congress and the Senate actually ever agrees on what time of day it is or what day of the week it is. Long before they can ever agree on doing something like data privacy. The, the whole idea, and there's a lot of people who don't think that this agreement that the EU and U.S. have come to, it's not been really ratified by anybody yet. It's, it's a framework that they've all shaken hands across the table on. It's got some hurdles to clear because there's still a lot of people who were saying, a lot of people in Europe who were saying it didn't go far enough. There's a lot of people in the U.S. who are saying it went too far. Mm-hmm. So... The fact that at least there's a a beginning of an agreement, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think that's something that kind of is underlaying a lot of this, you know, uh, like, you know, a different layer of context is the fact that, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these European countries are very skeptical of the American government as well, you know, using these large tech companies as a means to spy on European citizens. You know, this is something that, that we know has been going on. Uh, we know that the U.S. government uses uh, large tech platforms in order to, to spy on both Americans and on uh, foreign foreign citizens. And so, you know, you, you kind of you, you you understand where they're coming from with warning to put in regulation. Uh, but at the same time, this is going to create a lot of additional costs for these tech companies. And, you know, if you're a, a very uh, large transnational corporation, you could probably bear some of these additional regulatory hurdles. But if you're a small company trying to enter a European market, you're not going to be able to to hire the lawyers to, to, to make sure that you're complying with all of this, which is ultimately, I think, going to create an even less competitive market in, in Europe. Well, speaking of competitive markets, the deal with Microsoft trying to buy the Activision Blizzard software giant or game creation giant, it passed a big hurdle this week. A federal judge says the FTC cannot block this. No, it's super interesting. You know, there's a there's a journalist I follow named Matt Stoller uh, who does a lot of antitrust, uh, anti-competitive journalism. He's an independent journalist, and and he did not feel very good about this. Basically, said that the uh, that the federal judge that that blocked the FTC's intervention in this deal, you know, is basically working 
working on Microsoft's timeline and kind of rushed this out because Microsoft wanted an answer, not necessarily, you know, that that would be the best, the most competitive way for this to come down. I also read something about the judge's son being an employee at Microsoft, which I thought was was kind of funny, which, you know, might have might create some conflicts of interest there. But uh, that that's neither here nor there. I, I would think that would be a real serious grounds to have the the judge have to recuse himself, him or herself on this. So that boy, that would be strange if that were were the case. That's what I said. The the, the whole idea that the European Union has signed off on on the acquisition of Activision Blizzard, despite the UK and their one little standalone entity saying we're opposed to it and okay microsoft can say well we don't need you england we just want the rest of the european union and all of the us and then we'll go on about our merry little way you know we we talked about it a couple of weeks ago that microsoft raised up their hands and said look we lost the console wars and so we just want our software to run on any platform that's out there. We want to be hardware agnostic. And Satya Nadala has said this going on 10 years that he's been the CEO now. And it's true of all of the Microsoft Office platforms and, and everything else that Microsoft does. You can run on Apple products. You can run on Linux products. And, and so now you've just got one more level of here you go. You want a PlayStation? You want a, you want a, a Nintendo Switch? Fine. You can still play the Activision Blizzard games. Yeah, and you know, basically this the way that this came down is and the judge wrote this in their ruling that, you know, Microsoft has made points over and over again that they won't make uh, titles like Call of Duty exclusive to exclusive to the Xbox platform and and that's basically what the judge is banking on. You know, I I, I I am a Satya fan. I'm a Microsoft fan. I grew up playing Xbox, and you know that's my my console platform of choice. That said, you know I don't I don't know how good the word of a of a giant corporation like Microsoft is whenever they, whenever they ultimately accumulate that kind of power. You know, I, I you say that they won the hardware war or they lost the hardware war, which is true in the console space, uh, with their them tailing significant significantly behind sony and, and nintendo that said i don't think that this is really a hardware play this has always been a content play you know they they want the ip they want the titles they want you you know to they want to be able to collect those royalties every time uh, any other platform is allowed to use a uh, a microsoft microsoft game studio title oh sure um, you're gonna if you want you want to play your playstation or you want to have your nintendo switch that's great but you're going to need a Microsoft account to come play the, the the Blizzard Activision game. So it's going to cost you 20 bucks a month, but then you're going to have unlimited access to all of these these Microsoft now owned titles. And, and that's all Microsoft wants. They want that 20 bucks a month out of you. They're oh, not yeah. looking to sell you another Xbox. I mean, Microsoft would be happy if they never sold another piece of hardware again, honestly. <laughs> it's probably true, you know, and I think that, you know, we can look no further than, you know, it's always funny. We talk about the FANG stocks, uh, how Microsoft gets left out of the FANG. But if you look at where the N is, it's Netflix, you know, and Netflix is is grouped in with those other, you know, the largest companies in the world. And all they do is content. 
you know, they're the kings of content, you know, and, and I think you see, you know, now the fact that they're quickly being usurped by Disney kind of shows that that intellectual property is really where it's all at, all at, you know, if, if Microsoft could just own the rights to every title out there and, and never sell another Xbox again, I, you know, I think you're right. I think they would, that that's a, that's a fair trade to them. So moving on, especially to a story very near and dear to both you and I, as we both grew up playing in Bayou Tesh. There was a story in the Wall Street Journal this week about how Bayou Tesh has become the epicenter of America's lead cable problem. I didn't know it was a problem. Yeah, I, you know, just knew that the fish had three eyes and looked funny. I mean, <laughs> no, that's not true. That's a, that's, a, that's a Simpson reference. But apparently... The old telephone company, Southern Bell, back starting in the 1930s, working with the Army Corps of Engineers, started running cable across this Bayou Tesh, especially in the in the New Iberia and Franklin areas. And this cable, which has been in the ground for 80 years or so, is starting to rot, fall apart, and, oh, by the way, was full of lead inside. Yeah, so you know, I, I think that originally, obviously, the the response from from AT and T is going to be one, they're going to try to say it's not a problem, and if and two, if they if it is a problem, it's not our problem, which is which is kind of a, a an unfortunate way that it's looked at. But you know, whenever you look at the investments that companies like AT and T and and Cox and some of the other telecom ISP companies are, are investing in things like fiber. You know, it's only a matter of time until they start running fiber underneath Tesh. And so, you know, if you're already there putting in the infrastructure, why not invest a little bit extra money to replace the old antiquated, dilapidated, rusting infrastructure that that your your acquired company was responsible for putting in in the first place? Well, and, and it, unless you start pulling on this cable and it just completely falls apart, exposing more lead because the lead that's wrapped around these copper pipe or copper wires is what's becoming exposed. And and so if you if you're going to do more damage by taking it out, unless you really, really are careful about it, if you just hook it onto the back end of, of a forklift and, and just start pulling you're going to you're going to make quite a mess cuz i would imagine these cables are really pretty brittle at this point and bayou tesh is a beautiful bayou going through this through south louisiana and it's about a 125 mile long bayou that is just some of those picturesque beautiful swamplands in south louisiana environment that you'll ever see if that's and what you're into if you're into, if you like, if you like South Louisiana, <laughs> if you grew up in the bayous, playing in the swamps like you and I both did, then at different times, you know. But um, it's only yeah. about thirty something years difference. Yeah, in that, I get he's it. counting. Nonetheless, you still have something that we both lived in and lived with and played around, and and now all of a sudden finding out maybe there's some problems down there. It's kind of concerning. It is super concerning, man, you know, and especially the fact that, you know, people are moving, you know, I mean, I go back home to Morgan City and, you know, while it is nice that the tourism industry uh, down there is starting to pick up a little bit, you know, there there are more people, you know, actually coming down to to 
to by Teshin in the Morgan City area to kind of see what's going on, learn about the history, you know, take in the nature. But at the end of the day, you know, people people aren't moving there. You know, I don't live there anymore, and I consider that my home. I'll always consider it home. But, you know, there's just, quite frankly, not a ton of opportunity for young professionals, you know. And, you know, we always talk about the infrastructure problem we have, but, you know, if you don't have fast internet and, you know, the stuff that they originally put in is falling apart around you and contaminating your, your groundwater, you know, that it's not exactly making a case for the next generation to want to wanna make that move. It's really, really disappointing that AT&T is saying, oh, you know, look, we're all about the safety and well-being of our clients, but we think it's fine. We don't think there's a big issue. We're following all the applicable laws and regulations because there are no laws and regulations about how to deal with cable that was put in the ground in the 1930s. And some of the most moist and humid ground and air that uh, hu- that humanity has access to. Yeah, this, this is we'll have to keep an eye out and see where this goes. Uh, the fact that The Wall Street Journal did this big full write up on it, it's going to get a lot of attention. So I'll tell you this, I know people that are that are in the executive that are that are in the ear of executives and actually are executives at the AT&T headquarters in New Orleans and I guarantee they took notice of this. Oh, you you you've got to believe that this this grabs some people. I think it'll be addressed. I hope so. Last story we wanted to get to real quick. Mark Zuckerberg is trying to get his VR headsets into the Chinese market. And he's not getting a real warm and fuzzy reception from the Chinese government. I wouldn't expect him to, considering that he's, you know, Meta is a platform that, you know, at least in principle stands for uh, free speech and inclusivity. And whenever you're dealing with, you know, I don't want to end up a list anywhere, but uh, a totalitarian regime for, for the most part, um, I can't imagine that they would be very welcoming of, you know, a platform like Meta going in and harvesting the visual data of all of the Chinese citizenry. And the fact that he, that Mark Zuckerberg has actually come out and said, I think it's well documented that the Chinese government steals technology from American companies. And then, in, you know, earlier in 2016, he was saying some some harsh things uh, about the, the Chinese government and how they're not letting uh, the, the people take advantage of, of Facebook because they're scared of, of what Facebook would do if, if people started seeing the truth in China. And but now he wants to sell them headsets. Yeah, so, you know, and you know this about me, but, you know, I, I started a, an immersive content production company while I was in law school. I have a real passion for for immersive content, whether it's uh, VR, like what we're dealing with with Meta's headsets with the Quest, or it's AR, eventually mixed reality, which is, you know, kind of like the Apple Vision Pro. If Eventually, it's going to have to come down to hardware. It's almost antithetical to what to what we talked about earlier with Microsoft, you know, they they could care less if they were in the hardware game. Well, whenever it comes to accumulating vast amounts of visual data, you need you literally have to have a piece of hardware on someone's face. You know, it it really is an essential component. And so, you know, we saw during the pandemic, you know, Zuck put out millions of the original Quest 2s, you know, just just to get them out there in the wild. You know, they were cheap, they they weren't super high quality, but they were something. And they knew that while people were inside their houses not doing anything, you know, he he wanted to be able to start accumulating visual data. 
so that he can improve the platform like what we're seeing with the with the next generation quest headsets that that i'm sure he's gonna try to target for the chinese market well and he's he's out there promoting the fact that his headsets are you know starting around 500 bucks where the apple headsets are starting at 3500 dollars and so, hey, use our product, not Apple's product, because or go buy seven of ours instead of one of of the Apple products. And that may sound good, unless you're the Chinese government, and you've been saying all these things about the Chinese government for years, and they're going to bring it up and remind you over and oh, over yeah. and over of the things you've said. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, not not to mention, you know, I mean, a lot of these next generation. Pieces of hardware, a lot of the raw materials are coming out of China, you know. And so, you know, if you go and you look at the supply chain of where Zuck's getting this, these these materials, a lot of it's coming from China in the first place. We want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. General Informatics is a premier IT managed service provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers across the southeastern United States. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through continuous innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 180 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, program designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of business schools and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business strengths. This has become a proven formula. So proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need IT services, new technology, or have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. If you enjoyed our show today, we are here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4 p.m. And the show reruns Sundays also at 4 p.m. If you missed any part of the show or you'd like to hear this or previous episodes, check out our podcast. Available on almost every podcast platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music Audible, and more. When you're there, be sure to subscribe so you get notified every time we post a new episode. If you like our show or you have any suggestions, let us know on our website at www.techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.